So let's start. So up to the Gemara, Chavtes Amud Aleph. I don't know. We're up to the Gemara Chavtes Amud Aleph, and we're in the middle of discussing the argument between between um, Rebbe Leza and Hello. Rebbe. What's the matter? Can't hear you. Maybe turn your volume up. You gone? Could everyone else? Yes. Could everyone else hear me? So, Grandpa, it must be your end. Turn your volume up, maybe. Okay. So, so we're in the middle of discussing the argument between Rebeleza and Rebakiva. If someone folds over a cloth, and then he wants to use that cloth for his, as wicks for his Shabbos candles, there's two arguments. Argument number one, would it still be Mekabal Tumah? And argument number two, can you use it to light your Shabbos candles? And the Gemara says, what's the Svaras HaMachlaikas? So we just had Rev Adabahava, and he brought in the Sugya of Rebbe Yehuda and Muksa and Nailat. So Rebbe Yehuda is very strict with what we call Nailat. Nailat is something which is a new entity. And Rebbe Yehuda holds, if you have a vessel which smashes those new pieces are considered a nylad because it's something a different function to how the kli always was so even though physically these shards of the vessel were always in the world they were just part of the kli but when they get broken that makes them into a new entity and that would be considered nylad so in which case here the question is, when you fold over this garment before Yom Tov, does that remove the status of Beget? So if you hold, it doesn't remove the status of Beget, then it turns out on Erev Shabbos, when your light, or Erev Shabbos, which was Yom Tov, we said Friday was Yom Tov, it turns out when you're lighting on Friday, which is Yom Tov, you, ha- you burn it a bit, and remember the majority of the wick has to be on fire, it turns out what? You've made, it was 3 by 3 tefachim exactly, therefore when you burn it, it goes smaller than 3 by 3 tefachim, it loses its status as a vessel. And therefore, what are you doing? You're lighting with the broken pieces of a vessel, and that would be considered nylad according to Rabbi Huda. However, if you hold folding over the beged removes the status of vessel, so then it turns out that before Yom Tov, it wasn't considered a kli because it was folded over, it was t- converted into a wick. It isn't considered a kli. And therefore, even when you burn it on Yom Tov, so now it's smaller by three by three fingers, it doesn't matter. You haven't changed anything. And that would be the argument between Rebbe Kiva and Rebbe Liaz. If by folding it over before Yom Tov and converting into it into a wick, does that retain the status of kli or not? If it retains the status of Kli, then you have a problem. Because then when you burn it on Yom Tov, which was Friday, and you're going to make it smaller, it turns out you're now dealing with a broken Kli, which is Moksa. So now we're going to digress slightly and talk about Nailat. Yeah. So Rava Amas, so we're three lines down from Chavtes Amadalov. So what's the reason of Rebeliezer? So Rav is learning a different reason. He's saying it isn't to do with Nailad. He says the fish In other words, you can't light with these poor quality wicks. In other words, again, this is going back to the old age problem. If you're going to use a poor quality wick, you're going to be tempted to tilt the aisle. And therefore, he says it's to do with the problem of poor quality. So says the Gemara, So Rabbi Yosef says, I had a brysa that this cloth was exactly three by three. And now all of a sudden I understand the significance. So how does we understand the significance? If you say the discussion is based around Nailad, in other words, if I have a kli which now breaks, 
those broken pieces off the cleat are considered nylad, then it makes sense why I would have a brisa which says three by three exactly, because three by three is the minimum amount of size for a cleat, and therefore the moment you burn it, even slightly, it's smaller than three by three, and therefore you're now dealing with a broken vessel. So Yosef says, if we go with how we explained it yesterday, that the issue is you have three by three, by burning it, you make it into a broken piece of a vessel, then I understand why this price was saying it's a cloth which is three by three exactly. Whereas if the problem is simply it just doesn't burn well, then what's the significance of it being exactly three by three? So says the Gemara in the Indian Tumah, so three by... Quick question. Go on. Why didn't we fold it? Why didn't he fold it just like less than three by three? Um... No, I, I think what I think what the Gemara is saying, this cloth, it was three by three, and it was folded into a wick. So I'm not sure if the wick was three by three, or the wick was being used with a material which is three by three. Do you get what I'm trying to say? So in which case, and that's the question, by folding it over, does that nullify its status of a clee? And therefore, even when that goes smaller, it doesn't matter. It lost its status before Yomtov. Whereas if it's three by three, it's folded over. One view will say, look, it's still three by three. It just happens to be folded over. It retains its status as a vessel. And therefore, when you burn it, you're breaking a vessel. So I think that's how the discussion goes. So it says the Gemara, if you're learning the issue isn't to do with breaking a clean, then what's the three by three? So it says the Gemara Le'inyan Tumah, Ditanang Gimel al Gimel Sha'amru, when they gave the measurements three by three fingers, Chutz Min this is besides for the hem. So the important discussion about three by three fingers, why do we use the measurement three by three fingers? We use the measurement three by three fingers because that's the minimum the smallest cloth which a poor person would use to patch his garments. So the discussion is, whenever one patches the garments, Michael, this is what you were talking yesterday about the hem, they'd always need a bit of extra space in order to create a hem to be able to sew it properly. So the question is, when we say three by three, is that three by three including the area which was used for the hem? Just a bit, just a bit jutting out to use it to sew. Or is it three by three without the hem? And that would be the argument. Yeah. So did as Lenin told me, did it's not gimel al gimel shamru chutzman? Yeah. Sorry, is there a limit to how big the hem is? I don't think. Five by five garment. You have a huge hem that's smaller than three by three. And then you can always re-hem it, so it's bigger Yeah, I think from what it sounds like, in other words, when you have a patch, you have to have a bit, if you have a hole in the, if one has a hole in the baguette, and you're filling it up with a patch, it, it can't, this is how, at least how I understand Rashi, it can't be that you're going to have a... Yeah, no, as in, where, what does Rashi want? It can't be that you're going to have a cloth which is going to fit exactly into the hole because there's nothing to support it you always need something slightly coming out which will be over the hole which should sew it to I think yeah, yeah so maybe it's a bad translation yeah 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 so maybe it's a bad translation that the hem that's the way I understand it in other words it's the bit which juts over the yeah you can't have the hem bigger than the baguette yeah, but I, I'm not sure if it means that I've, maybe it was a bad translation, the hem. What is it then? I think if you have a hole, even if the beggar fits, even if this cloth would go into the hole, you always need a bit which would jut out from the cloth to sew it to the beggar. So that bit which juts out, that's that the question. Yeah. I think so. Yes, that sort of sounds like how Steinsatz explains it. What he says is, you observed it well, what he says is that 
he says that the melal is the is the fringe, like on the edge of your talus. There is a, a because a woven garment has extra threads that come out the ends. To stop that fraying, you fold it over and sew it down. He says once you've done that, the size of the garment is definitely uh, up to the edges. You don't count the extra that's folded underneath. But till you've done that, do you count the fringes? That's what he suggests. Oh, interesting. That's how stands out explains. But any any woven cloth naturally has those fringes, although on a talus you you have extra length and you tie it in knots for decoration. But but you've always got it because that's how a woven cloth that's is made. That's why you hem it. Otherwise, it'll come on. That's up. why you hem it because otherwise it goes away. So the stands out suggests that until it's hemmed, there's a machlokus. What you count? Do you count the not completely woven threads at the edges? Or not. Yeah, I afraid so. Very good. <laughs> Have you got a tailor much good? Yeah. Well, my parents were telling tailors. <laughs> That's good. My grandfather was a tailor. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Divir Shimon, Vachamim Aimim Gimula Gimel So the argument is when you say this measurement of three by three, is that including the area of the cloth which would be um, however we're translating it the hem or is it three by three including it and that would be the argument so so if we're using a vessel as a lamp for we can't use a broken piece of kalim so why is that again because it's a nylon so masikin bit tomorrow. You could use a date as fuel. It might be a bit of a waste of food, but you can throw a date into the fire. It could be an old date. So yeah, yeah. Dried out. Well, Rashi says because you could you you can move it for eating, therefore it isn't muksa. So again, if, the, if it won't be edible, then you might run into problems. How much to know about your old dates, Mike? Well, thank you. <laughs> it's sort of an X. So. <laughs> I'll get marked a spot. No, come. <laughs> so, if you ate them, so a masikin begrenen, you can't burn with the pips. Again, we're going to see Divra Bihuda. For Reb Shimon, as Reb Shimon permits. So, masikin begrenen, again, you could use nuts as fuel. So, achlan, if you ate the nut, a masikin begrenen. So you can't use the nut shells as the as fuel. Divir Rebbe Mate. So we have three different arguments. You have a vessel which smashed. You ate a date and you're left with the pip. Or you ate a nut and you're left with the shells. So we have three different scenarios which we argue about. Rebbe Huda forbids them all and Rebbe Shimon permits them all. And we need to say all three arguments. If we would have just seen the first case. So the first case is you have a lovely earthenware vessel and then it smashes. So Rabbi Huda forbids, Rabbi Huda forbids to use those pieces. Initially it was a vessel and now it's a broken shot. And therefore, the heavily nylad for also. Therefore, it would be nylad and forbidden. So, in other words, Rabbi Huda to say this broken earthenware jar. That's really a new. You could hear his argument. He's saying, "Look, this is a new entity. Initially, this was a large vessel, and now it's broken into pieces. It's something which is new." In other words, a date. You're not. Do, there's nothing new. You ate the date. You're left with a pip. Can I burn it? Well, if we just see the first case about a broken vessel, I would have said only a broken vessel would be forbidden because the broken pieces are a new entity. But to forbid a pip, a pip was always there. Amos Shapidami, maybe it would be permitted. So, in other words, the Chiddush is, in other words, what, how Rabbi Huda would take the pip, he treats it as a nylon. 
So it's very interesting. So even though the pip is something which is always there, Rabbi Huda treats it as a nailat, which is a big chiddush. So if we'd have just said the pip, Look, initially the pip, it's covered by the date. And therefore by eating the date, you're uncovering the pip. Have a clip here, guys. However, with peels, In other words, a eggshell. It's something which was always. In other words, the shell is on the outside, not the eggshell. A nutshell. The nut. The shell is always on the outside, and therefore aim a Maybe if we'd have just seen Rabbi Huda forbidding using the pips once you've eaten the date, I would have said, look, very simple. The date covers the pip. And therefore the pip, in a sense, is something which is new. Whereas when it comes to the shells of a nut, the shells of a nut was always on the outside. You're not uncovering it the same way as you would uncover the, the pip of the date. Nevertheless, Rabbi Huda still forbids it. Therefore we need to say all these three cases. So Taisvasi adds a yeah go, go on. Why why extend, why distinguish the last two cases? In in the case of the shell, it's still intrinsically you've still got to do something. Okay, you can see it, but you can't do anything with it until you detach it from the nut. In the same case as the the pip in the date, you've got to take the date away to get to the pip. So in both cases, you're having to do something to make it. Self-contained item. You're right. First of all, I like the way you said you have to do something because that's how Tosus he has a few throwaway lines. That's how he explains the whole discussion. Even though, let's say, when it comes to a date, I know I'm going to eat the date before Yom Tov. So why should it be muksa? Why should a pit be muksa? Mm-hmm. In other words, it's very different to say a piece of a vessel. You didn't think your vessel was going to smash in half. There you could say it's muksa, but say a date and a nut. If I know I'm going to have this for dessert, I know I'm going to be left with a date, and that was I had my awareness over it. Yeah. So he says that he says what you were saying. In other words, it doesn't help you because you have to do something in order to get to it, and that wasn't done before Yamtov, It's still a problem. But I think that. But you're right. Ultimately, you're right. The Gemara doesn't make the difference. The Gemara, because Rabbi Huda still says it's forbidden. The only question is, had we just said dates, would we have been able to infer from dates that nuts would also be forbidden? And the Gemara says, no, you could play devil's advocate and say nuts and dates are different. Couldn't you have just said nuts? But Yeah, but then we need to work backwards for Reb Shimon. Because Reb Shimon permits it. Says Sirika. So says the Gemara, Vahadurav love, Beferish Itma. So now the Gemara is going to get into an interesting discussion. Rav saying you can't use the, the pips of a date, it wasn't said explicitly. So Ella Mechlala Itma was inferred from Rav. So it's very interesting. We just had a whole discussion about dates and nuts. And the Gemara says, well, Rav forbidding the pips of the dates was never said explicitly. It was just only inferred from his actions. So the Rav Achotami, Rav ate a date, and he threw the pip into the fire. This was during the weekday. So during the weekday, Rav, he ate a date, and he threw the pip into the fire. Amalei Rebchia, Sabah Pechzi, so son of a nobleman. So this is referred to also in the Gemara Brachas. So Asa. So if you were to do the same thing on Yamtuf, so were you to eat the date, throw the pip into the fire, would that be permitted to do on Yamtuf? 
and he didn't respond. So Kiblamine, I like Kiblamine. So did he accept that position or not? So Tashima, Dukhyasa Rav Lubava, when Rav came to Bava, so Tamre, he ate a date for Shadukashyasa Lechavasa. He threw the he threw the pips to his animal. So the so in other words, it seems on Yamtuf, Rav ate a date, and nevertheless he still used the pip. So the Gemara is going to have uh, refer to two different types of dates. One type of date is where when you eat the fruit, when you eat the date, you could completely remove any part of the date from the pip. Whereas another type of date, even though when you eat the date, there's still some date left over on the pip. So the Gemara is saying, do you not think when he ate the date and he gave the pip to his animals, my love, Bapasiyasa, do you not think Rashi says these dates were very ripe? And therefore, when you eat the fleshy part of the fruit, it removes completely from the pip. And, never, and therefore, the pip would be muksa, Or at least should be muksa, because it has no part of the date left on it. But nevertheless, Rav threw it to his animal. And so we see Rav doesn't hold that a pip would be Naila de Muksa. Because if Rav was eating these very ripe dates, which there's no remnants of dates left on the pip, and Rav still moved, gave that date to the animal, therefore we see Rav wouldn't hold a date would be Muksa. So it says the Gemara doesn't mean that. Lai Bamiyasa. So if you're referring to these slightly unripened dates, where there you don't really clean the pip completely off the, from the date. There's always a bit of date left over. And therefore it turns out the pip is a muksa. Why isn't the pip muksa? Because it still has some leftover date left on it. And therefore it won't be muksa on account of the leftover date. And therefore just because Rav threw this pip to his animal... It doesn't mean you could infer from that scenario that Rav holds date pips aren't muksa. Because it could be that particular date wasn't such high quality. And therefore, if it wasn't high quality, it had bits of date left on it. So it wouldn't be muksa. But if it would have been a pip where there's no date left on it whatsoever, then it could be Rav would hold its muksa. So the Gumaraz just leaves it. Um, the Gemara doesn't really conclude either way. Oh, by the way, Julian, on you, your point, Taisus also adds, like you were asking, what's the difference between the dates and the nuts? He says, the Afa Gav de Mitamza Aisa Sri Khusa. So even though we made a difference, truthfully, it isn't really a difference between the two. So it's almost okay. like the Gemara was playing devil's advocate by saying it. Okay. So So this is a very famous... Sogim Beitza. So Alex has to, Alex is going to look forward for this. So according to Rav, who said, according to Rabbi Huda, who says broken kalim become muksa. So in which case, so kivin, um, it look it kivin So the moment you light a wick or whatever you're using as the wick, hevele shivre kalim. So according to Rabbi Huda, how could you ever? Although you're allowed to light a fire on Yom Tov, that's permitted, in terms of Malacha. But according to Rabbi Huda, you're always going to run into problems of Muqsa. Because the moment you burn it, it's going to go slightly smaller. In which case, it's a broken piece of vessel. And therefore, V'chim Kamahapich, B'Sur Kamahapich. It turns out when you're going to stir the fire... You're touching something which is muksa. So forget about the malach of lighting. We're allowed to light a fire on Yom Tov, that we know. But according to Rav Yehuda, inevitably, why aren't we always ending up with problems of muksa? The moment I burn... It's actually designated to burn completely. Yeah, now I was thinking that. 
Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. But still, Tyson is as far it is. Even if it. Yeah, I'm not sure. No, I had the same question. It's the same with wicks, isn't it? Because when you light a wick, uh, the fuel comes up the wick and the fuel has to be burned first before the wick burns. What do you mean? Well, the wick at the beginning is only singed a little and then it doesn't burn completely until the fuel is all So when you start burning something, it presumably is Right, yeah, yeah. But the question is, if you were, again, if you're going with, by breaking, by it becoming small, it now becomes a broken piece of a vessel, then you can never stir anything. Because you're right, what, that's the Gemara's question. According, so that we'll, Thank you. Yeah. No, so says the Gemara to Ovid, could Rav Masna. He did, did like Rav Masna. The Amar of Masna, Amar Rav. Again, so Eitzim Shenoshu Min Adekel Letano. So now, what happens if, by happy coincidence, you had a tree which was over your oven, and then there was a big gust of wind, it broke your branch off a tree, and it landed into the, your oven. So now, this branch off a tree, it's a very good. Um, Has that before? Sorry? No, he wasn't, ex- wasn't expecting it. In which case, it's a case of muksa. Because this was a branch off a tree when Yom Tov came in. So, be- the fire. Hmm? so what does he do? What do you do? So, so you add some designated firewood and then you burn it. And therefore, we see what's the svarahim. Um, yeah, and therefore it's bottle berive. So this is a big chiddush. This is Hang a on. one in sixty. Yeah, no. So this is the well, one in six is in terms of imparting taste. This isn't a no, no, it's berive. Sorry. No, then you might have a problem. No, but it's a big chiddush. You can't take it out, can you? Does he hold Muktzis midrabbanon? Yeah, well, that's the big discussion about mavatlin issa. Yeah, so that's Alex will tell you. There's a big discussion if Muksa is darais or not, but it's a, that's what I said. Very quiet, considering it's especially for beta. Yeah. It's a big sugya in bait, so... Bring smile, though. Yeah. He's very wise. He doesn't want to show up at Milo. Yeah. Now, in general, there's a big discussion about muksa. Is it based on Hachana de Rabba? So Hachana de Rabba is Daraisa. And if muksa is based on that, there are opinions which is Daraisa. Whereas others say muksa, the whole essence of muksa was only gazera, so people shouldn't carry and therefore they said anything which doesn't have direct usage on Shabbos, don't touch it, because it's Drabonon. Okay. So it's an interesting interesting point which the Gemara is making. So if Hamnona Ama, Hocha Bepakos Mishleisham Ashleisha So what's the point of disagreement? So it's smaller than 3 by 3 Tfakim. Not three by three fingers, three by three tefachim. So this was to do with the lenience if a person disregards a cloth. Therefore, what's the halacha? So though it might be smaller than three by three tefachim, the question is, what do I have to do to say this this um, this cloth? is rendered completely useless, in my eyes. So let, let's see how the Gemara de- develops. For Azur Rebbe Liezer Letameh, Rebbe Akiva Letameh, Ditanan Pachos Mishleisha 
as shleisha. So if you have a cloth which was less than three by three tefachim, sheskino lefakek by esamerchatz, which you decided you wanted to use it to block something in the bathhouse. So so Rashi says it's these holes which the water goes through. So you wanted to block the water going through. Or ulanai by esakadera, you wanted to wipe the your pot. Or you wanted to wipe your um to wipe the grinding stones. So we're going to discuss what this phrase means. Tame would be Tame Divre Rebeliaza. So it's a bit hard to understand the disagreement before the Gemara. So let's just go through the different views, then the Gemara is going to put it all together. So Rebeliaza is saying if you have a cloth, you're using it for wiping surfaces down or you're using it to block holes plug holes so even if it's mukhan or not mukhan we have to define those phrases it will still be makabal tumah it doesn't make a difference if it's mukhan or not it would be tar whereas rabbi kiva says if it's mukhan if it's prepared then it's Tomei. If it's Shalai Min and if it isn't prepared, it's Tar. So we have three different views. So we have the view of Rebeliezer, who's on one end. He's saying both if it's Mukhan or not Mukhan. Again, we have to define what it means. But both if it's Mukhan or not Mukhan, it would be Tomei. We have Rabbi Yashor, who goes to the opposite extreme. He says both Mukhan or not Mukhan, it's Tar. Was Rabbi Kiva's sort of in between. He says if it's Mukhan, it's Tameh. If it isn't Mukhan, if it isn't prepared, it's Tar. So what do the phrase Mukhan or not Mukhan mean? So everyone agrees. If he threw this cloth into the bin. So remember, why is there a whole discussion about a cloth three by three to Fakim? Or three by three fingers being able to be makabal tuma. So remember, in order to be makabal tuma, it has to have some form of function. And therefore, the discussion is look, it might not be acting as a beget, but nevertheless, three by three tefachim or three by three fingers could still be used. So therefore, the Gemara is saying if he threw this cloth into the rubbish bin, then divriakal tar, according to everyone, it would be tar. Because by throwing it in the rubbish bin, that shows this isn't something which I'm going to use. So, Hanichai huh? if he left it in a box, then leaving it in a box, that shows you still want it, and therefore it retains its status. So, the Gemara is saying, when his intent is obvious, clearly obvious, in both ways. So, either he's throwing it in the bin. In which case he's completely disregarding it, so it would be tar, or he's putting it in a, in a box. In which case he wants to keep it, and that would be tame. So the question is, if he puts it on some sort of hanger, or we put it on the on a door. So these two cases are sort of the less of the extremes in both ends. In other words, it isn't putting it on the hook or leaving it on the back of the door. It isn't as extreme as throwing it in the rubbish bin or storing it in a box. In the sense, he's neither shown he's completely disregarding it, but he's neither shown that he wants to keep it. Putting it in a box shows acts of intent you want to use it. And therefore the question is, in these two cases, what's the halakha? So Rebeliezer Sava, so Midilai Zalko Ba'ashba, Dato Ilave. So Rebeliezer holds, look, either if he put it on a, on a hook or he put it behind the door, that's still intent. Why is it still intent? Because he didn't throw it in the rubbish bin. If he threw it in the rubbish bin, that shows he no longer wants to use the cloth. Therefore, this beged or this rag is no longer treated as a kli. But this person didn't. And therefore, the fact that he didn't shows he still has some intent for it and therefore would retain its status as something which is functional and therefore would be Makabotola.
Whereas Rabbi Yeshua Sava, he looks at it in the opposite way. Sava, so midulai hinichai bekufsa, betule butle. So because he didn't put it in the box, so if you just have a rag, and this rag is left uh, over the door or over the door or on the hook, because he didn't display intent to put it in the box, which would show you want to keep it, according to Rabbi Yeshua, it's essentially saying, I'm not interested in this cloth anymore. And therefore, the moment you show that intent, it's no longer treated as a kli. So my korele mochan, why does Rabbi Yeshua call it mochan? So the Gemara's question is, if Rabbi Yeshua is saying that putting it on a, on a hook or hanging it, hanging it over the door is showing that I'm not interested in it, then why does he say Bain min hamuchan, bain shaloi min hamuchan? Bain min hamuchan implies that it's still prepared, I still want it. But yet the Svarah of Rabbi Shah is because he's not interested in it. So the Gemara says, why does he use the phrase muchan? Not because it actually is prepared, but in regards to the rubbish dump, it's considered prepared. Not to say that it actually is prepared. So Rebakiva. So Rebakiva, he's sort of going to go in the middle. So So if he hung it on a hook, that he would hold like Rebeliaza. So hanging it on a hook is more of an act of designation and showing that you still want it. Whereas leaving it on the back of the door is more shows more intent that you're disregarding it. So Savalah so the Gemara is saying the two cases, putting it on a hook or leaving it behind the door, they're both in the middle of the two extreme ends. So putting it on the hook resembles more leaving it in the box. It's showing more intent you want to keep it. Whereas putting it over the door shows more intent to disregard it. And therefore Rebbe Kiva says, If it was on the hook, you intend to use it, and therefore it's Makabal Tumah. If it was behind the door, then that's already a greater show of intent that you're disregarding it, and therefore it won't be Makabal Tumah. Yeah. So, Bernicha, Choradela, Savalak, Rabbi Yeshua. So, Vahadobe, Rabbi Akiva, Lagabe, Rabbi Yeshua. Rabbi Akiva changed his mind according to Rabbi Yeshua. So Mimai, how do we know this? So Amarava, Midiktani Pesilas Habeget. So what's the Lashon of Pesilas Habeget? So the cloth, of the, the wick of the cloth. So my Iridiktani Pesilas Habeget. Why does it say the wick of the cloth? Listen, Pesila shall beget, a wick from the cloth. So my Pesilas Habeget. So why do you recall it? Um... So in other words, the so Richard, this is similar to what you were saying before. In other words, by saying it's the wick of the cloth, it's the cloth itself which is being folded over. You're not just taking a bit of cloth and turning it into the wick. It's the cloth itself which has been folded over. So even though you have the whole cloth there, because you've folded over the whole cloth, Rabbi Kiva still says it's tahar. Because by making it into the wick, you've shown I'm removing my intent. I've folded it over. It's no longer clear. And that's being medoyed from the wick of the cloth. Not a wick from cloth. It's the cloth itself became the wick. Yeah. Okay, so says the Mishnah. So now we're going to... So we saw this... Early on, and this is really what the halachs of Bameh Madlikin is about. We're always concerned about a person either increasing the flow of fuel to the wick or decreasing. So either he's going to tilt the lamp so the wick would get more oil drawn to it, or he would remove oil from the lamp, and the same way as by drawing more oil to the fire, you're considered adding to the fire, which is a malacha, taking away oil. Is considered extinguishing. So says the Gemara, says the Mishnah, three three cases. So Adam 
So a person shouldn't make a hole in an eggshell, and fill it up with oil, so it could be the cases that his lamp didn't contain enough oil to last for the amount of time which he wanted to. So he's a clever person. So he, he takes an eggshell, he makes a hole in it, a very small hole, fills it up with oil, and now this eggshell is over the lamp, and it's going to drip slowly into the lamp, and therefore your lamp is going to have more oil. Now technically, if you do that before Shabbos, you're doing nothing wrong, because you're not doing the malacha on Shabbos, you did something before Shabbos, it's just a continuation, it doesn't matter. But nevertheless... If the egg hole is actually on the surface of the oil, so it's a sheet is that the okay? So it's actually like a reservoir, but it's actually full contact. Um, so it's so not dripping. It's actually making contact. Let's see. Let's see the Gemara because I, because really the concern is it isn't one isn't doing malacha. It isn't the malacha that's the concern. It's a gazera. It's a gazera that I might just take away the oil from the eggshell. I'm thinking. No, no, even forget about muksa. By taking away fuel from a lamp, you're, you're doing the malach of, of extinguishing. So that it goes both ways. Increasing oil is increasing fire. Taking away oil is you're extinguishing. So we're going to see. So about the point, if it's close by, I think it will be addressed by the Gemara indirectly. So vafilu hi Even if... Um, even if the lamp is made out of earthenware, which again, an earthenware lamp, it gets very, very messy. Yeah. So Rabbi Huda Matin, Aval Im Chibra, so Michael, this is similar to what you were saying. Aval Im Chibra, Hayotza, Mitchila, Muta. However, if the lamp was made this way, so if you have a, a container on top of the lamp, and that container will cause oil to drip into the lamp. If that's the way it was created, it would be permitted. Because it's created as one vessel. So again, so the problem is with the egg, with the eggshell, we're going to see in the Gemara, because it wasn't created like that, it's almost an artificial um, creation. Therefore, there's more for concern. A person might draw oil from it. If it's always one contraption. So I got my lamp and I got my vessel on top which I pour oil which feeds oil into the lamp. Then the person knows, look, it's one clear, the same way as he knows not to draw oil from his regular lamp, he knows not to draw oil from his fixed vessel which is on top of the lamp. The concern is when it's an artificial creation, then he might forget himself and draw oil away from it. Adam Karashal Shem, and the person shouldn't fill a plate of oil, put it to the side of the lamp, and you're going to put the one end of the wick into the into the oil. And so in other words, you've got your lamp and you've got your plate of oil next to it. So you can't extend one end of the wick into this plate of oil. And therefore, by doing that, you're extending the energy, but one can't do so. Again, the same concern that I might draw oil from that plate. So, again, so we have the general concept of the mission. There seems to be a decree. That means if you're creating these contraptions to add oil to your lamp, because it isn't the usual way and it isn't the way the lamp is manufactured, there's always a concern a person might just take away the oil, so he has an eggshell filled with oil, or he has a plate which is filled with oil. So even though technically in terms of the malacha, he's done nothing wrong by setting it up that way, there's always a concern he might fancy some oil as Michael said, for his dressing. Whatever the case is, he wants to, he does want to burn all the oil, and he's going to take that oil away. By taking that oil away, he's being either on the chaba, which is extinguishing. So, Sarikha, we need to say all these cases. If you'll just say oil in a 
shell off an egg. Here the Rabbanon are concerned he might draw oil. The Kivan Zulaymi'isi asa las Because the oil in the egg, in an eggshell doesn't become disgusting, there's always a concern, you know what, I want to save that oil. So when the Mishnah says, even if this container is earthenware, then maybe if it was earthenware, to Me'isa, which is discussing, So the Gemara says, we discuss two cases. Either I'm putting oil in an eggshell above a lamp, or I'm putting oil in an earthenware vessel above the lamp. And the Gemara says, you won't be able to draw a conclusion. The fact that I'm forbidden to put oil into an eggshell that doesn't mean it would be forbidden to put oil into an earthenware lamp. So why won't you draw that conclusion? If I'll just see an eggshell, because oil in an eggshell isn't disgusting. And therefore, there's always a concern, you know what, I don't want to use so much oil, I want to save this olive oil for my salad dressing, he's going to take it out. But if it's an earthenware vessel, where there the oil becomes very murky and disgusting, maybe there's less of a concern that person halfway through Shabbos is going to decide, I want to remove that oil. And that's why the Gemara needs to, d- to discuss not only an eggshell, but even if it's in an earthenware vessel above the lamp, Rabbi Yehuda still, sorry, the Chachamim still say it's forbidden. So, Vyashmin and Shacharis, if we'll just say the case of earthenware, Bahakam Rabbi Yehuda, only in this case Rabbi Yehuda says it, because earthenware, Rabbi Yehuda permits it. So why would you say Rabbi Yehuda permits it? This is the other way around. If you just say the case of an earthenware vessel, and you won't say the case of an eggshell, then I would have used this svara for the one who permits it. I'd say, why does Rabbi Yehuda allow you to draw to use an earthenware contraption to be above your lamp? Because oil in an earthenware vessel isn't disgusting. So, even... If I were to use it, there's never concern he might draw oil from it. But in the case of an eggshell, even though Rabbi Huda permits with an earthenware vessel, maybe he'll forbid an eggshell. And therefore the Gemara says we need to say both an eggshell and an earthenware vessel for both the one who permits it and the one who forbids it. So V'yashmin and Hanach Tati, if you just say those two, so Bahani Kama Rabbi Huda, Mishum Delay Mifsak. So, um, so if we'll just say th- these two cases of putting an eggshell or an earthenware vessel above the lamp, I would have said, do you know why Rabbi Yehuda permits it? So Michael, this is similar to what you are advocating, because in the cases of the eggshell or the earthenware vessel, it's on top of the lamp. But, avokara de mifsuka, the last case was you have your lamp, and you have next to the lamp a plate filled with oil. Now, a plate filled with oil is completely separated from the lamp. Whereas when you have your eggshell or you have your earthenware vessel, that's on top of the lamp. So you could hear why there'd be a difference between having a plate of oil next to a lamp or having an earthenware vessel or an eggshell above the lamp. What's the difference? The earthenware vessel or the eggshell, that's literally, it's on top of the lamp. And therefore it's one entity, and therefore there's less of a concern a person might draw oil from it, because he knows, look, my eggshell or my earthenware vessel is right next to the lamp. But to say, I have my lamp on one end of the table with a long, long wick, which is connected to a plate of oil in the other end of the table, then there's a lot of room to argue that, look, a person thinks, what am I doing? I'm just removing the plate of oil. I'm doing nothing. I'm not affecting the lamp. And therefore we need to say, even in such a case, Rabbi Huda would still f- permit a plate filled with oil next to the lamp. So if you'll just say that, if it will just have the argument, I have a plate of oil next to a lamp. Rabbi Huda permits it, the Chachamim forbid it. I would have said only in that case the Chachamim forbid it. Again, because there's a big dis- there's a distance between the lamp and the plate. And therefore, there's more room for a person to be lenient with it and say, look, it's completely separate. There's nothing wrong with me removing oil. 
But in those two cases where you have the eggshell, or you have the the earthenware vessel above the lamp, if all what would see is the chachamim forbid you putting plate uh, oil into the plate, I would have said only in that case they forbid it. But to put oil in an eggshell or an earthenware vessel over the lamp, who says they'll forbid it? So Sricha, that's why we need the argument in all three cases. So we have three different scenarios. We have an eggshell on top of a lamp, an earthenware vessel over a lamp, and we have oil in a plate. And all three are necessary to say because we need to say the chiddush of the one who forbids it even in the more extreme cases and the one who permits it even in the more extreme cases where there's more room to say it would be forbidden. So, so the Mishnah says if the lamp was manufactured that way so you have the lamp and you have on top of the lamp a small earthenware vessel which you put oil into it so Tana Im and and the Mishnah says if it was manufactured that way then there's no concern a person might draw oil because he knows that's how the lamp is manufactured so remember it's hard to put put be put into this mindset because we're not used to such a case it seems a person in general knows if I have a lamp with oil going to the wick people know you can't draw from that oil where there's room for confusion is where the oil isn't directly going to the lamp. So say the case is with the eggshell. Then there's more room for it to be misunderstood and say I'm removing oil from the eggshell, that would be permitted. But certainly people wouldn't, there would, there's never concern that people would remove oil from the lamp itself. And therefore the Mishnah says if it was created like that, then this lamp with a vessel on top, people know, look, that's how it's made. I don't remove it. Satanu im besid mut. If it was attached with some sort of lime or some sort of material which sticks, it would be permitted. So ask the Gemara, How could you say if I attach this earthenware vessel to the lamp with some sort of um, adherence material to make it stick, it would be permitted? Our Mishnah says it's only permitted if it was created initially like that. And therefore, why do we permit for him to put a lamp, he's going to glue it together, and it would still be permitted? The Mishnah says only if it was created like that. So says the Gemara, So what does it mean it has to be created? It has to be as if it was created. So it doesn't mean the lamp has to be initially manufactured with this jar over the lamp. It means if you want to put the jar over the lamp, it has to be like it was created like that. So it has to be stuck together. If it's stuck together, then people know this is one entity. Don't draw oil from this small container. However, if you've just plonked an eggshell or an earthenware vessel on top of the lamp and it isn't actually structured as part of the lamp, then there's more room for confusion.